This is Exit Vila, powered by BackSportsPage.com. Hello, fans of all ages. Welcome back to Exit Vila, the 10th episode. Ryan Morick here with you alongside Adam Cohen and Henry Winklehake. Today, we are breaking down the American League East. It's about time we get into some dissection of some baseball. We've talked about scandals and Hall of Fames and trades and non-trades. We'll, we'll talk about Mookie Betts later on when we talk about the Boston Red Sox because that trade looks like it's finally about to go through. But nonetheless, us three are going to talk about the American League East. Adam and I, we are big Yankee fans, so we kind of know this division like the back of our hand. Henry, I know you're a Cubs fan, but it is the American League East. The American League East. The Yankees are still a powerhouse, and it's the Yankees, so everyone knows what's going on. So, but I, I, I know you. I know you're pretty knowledgeable about baseball, so I got full faith in you. But uh, thanks, Ron. But, <laughs> but uh, let, let's dive right. Let's dive right into it. We're gonna go break down these teams in order, uh, the reverse order of the standings last year. And we were just talking about this in our, I guess, pre-show discussion that we always have, just to see what's going on. And we really don't know what to say about the Baltimore Orioles, except we kind of just feel bad for them. I mean, they still they have a little bit of talent, but when you have a team like the New York Yankees, who are probably going to win well over 100 games, you have the Tampa Bay Rays, who are probably going to win 90 or so. And I think in their last like 200 games or something, they have one of the higher win percentages in all the baseball. But... Adam, if you are a Baltimore Orioles fan, a team that's openly tanking, it's obviously got to be very difficult right now if you're a fan of the O's. I actually personally know a Baltimore Orioles fan. My boss, when I lived down in Israel, huge Baltimore Orioles fan. Every time we message, and we're still good friends, he says, Orioles winning the World Series 2020. Just like the faintest (laughs) glimmer of hope. Because you never know it's baseball, but we know. We know at this point. And I don't know if it's just me, but doesn't it seem like yesterday where Showalter was just such a crafty, shrewd manager, making the Orioles be competitive year in, year out? How did they turn into this type of team? It's ridiculous. Uh, it's bad. They won the division, what, 2014? I'm pretty sure they made the postseason the year after that. But you're right. I mean, we're really not that far away from Buck Showalter leading a squad of Manny Machado and... A Chris Davis who wasn't automatic out at the time, but Henry, th- th- this team has certainly, certainly fallen off. Um, but with that being said, uh, I know you, you were doing a lot of the writing in in our uh, dissection planning, I guess. So, give me some guys who somewhat stick out at you on on what's going to be a, a porous Baltimore team. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Manny Machado because when I'm looking over Baltimore's projected lineup for 2020, I'm wondering who they got in return in that deal because it's not a very inspiring lineup, not a very inspiring roster. There are a couple of bright spots in what is otherwise a wasteland, and that'd be, to me, Trey Mancini and Renato Nunez. Both had pretty strong 2019 campaigns and what was an otherwise forgettable year uh, for the Orioles. Mancini has got a little bit of pop in his bat, uh, as does Nunez, and it's really tough for their numbers to look too great and and such a terrible lineup, Uh, but it is still a pretty hitters-friendly ballpark, so look for them to put up 25, maybe around 30 home runs with with decent averages for each of them. 
outside of those guys, it's it's not very inspiring, like I said. Yeah, both of those guys drove in what was tied for a team high, 79 runs. Trey Mancini actually had an 834 OPS last year, which is pretty good, especially when you look at a team with zero protect, zero protection in its lineup. And Adam, we could talk. We could go back to Chris Davis. You and I, as Yankee fans, we never wanted to see Chris Davis up at bat just a couple of years ago. And it's not often that I feel bad for guys who make thirty million dollars just to swing a baseball bat. But Chris Davis is one of those rare guys where you you, ha- you have to feel for him after what he's been through over the last couple of years. This was a guy who plays third in MVP way back when in 2013, which seems ages ago, and had Crazy. 53 home runs, wasn't too, too strikeout prone, but now he's all or, but, all or nothing, and it's just really sad. Because he was a major part of this Orioles team. Him, Machado, Jones, that was a really, really good core. And now their core is a bunch of young guys with a lot to prove. Even though Mancini and Nunez, as Henry mentioned, do have really good pop, they both cannot field very well at all, which takes down their projection value. So they're not as good as people think they are, even with that, which... It's just really even more tough for the Orioles. They're looking for another number one pick this year. It certainly looks like it. FanDuel has their win total. They're over under at 56 and a half. If they don't, I mean, it's crazy to say this, but I'm trying to, I'm trying to do quick math in my head. If you go, like, if you win 56 games, how many games do you lose? It's 114. Someone help me out there. 114. I think that's right. It's 106. 106. Oh, there you go. All right, I haven't taken a math class. <laughs> you're, you're still in school, so you're good. So, so you can do math. I, I haven't taken a math class in a while. <laughs> so they lose 106 games. I think that's definitely in play. But I feel like if I were to gamble on losing 56, on winning 56 games or less. I feel like I just would not be able to grow the you-know-what to put my money on and under. So I have to say over just for gambling purposes. But, Henry, I'll let you give your number, but it certainly wouldn't surprise me either way. It wouldn't surprise me if they did go under, but I could never think a team can lose that much. Well, if a team could lose that much, (laughs) I'd say the Orioles are a strong candidate to be that team. They, they did win 54 games uh, last year, so it's not crazy to think that maybe they can add three more to their win total. Maybe you get a little bit of development from some of the young guys. But they also had a collective 5.79 ERA, and their bullpen last season, their starters, was a 5.57 ERA. This is historically bad pitching in Baltimore. That's going to make it tough to win a whole lot of games. Ultimately, I'd probably I, – I'd lean yeah. towards the under on this one, Ryan. Honestly, I thought they lost 110, 110 games last year before you mentioned that. And I was about to go way under for that one. Repeat of 110 losses. I, I meant to say losses earlier. But knowing that they won 54 games last year, you can't possibly get any worse. They have another season of love. They were young guys. So in a healthier Alex Cobb, and maybe he'll – return a little bit back to his own form, even just slightly enough. So I would say they could win 56, 57 games. If it's under, it's going to be slightly under. It's not going to be a big difference. 
knowing that they didn't lose 110 games last year, they're not going to do that this year. So it's really a push for me. I'd probably have to go with slightly over at this point, but not by much. Yeah, it's definitely – if you're a gambler – and I've had my fair share of gambling tendencies, I guess you can say. I, I hate betting on unders, especially with bad teams, because you just can't picture a team actually losing that much. But, Henry, you pretty much hit the nail on that. If there's a team to do it, it's, gonna, it's, gonna be, it's probably going to be Baltimore. I think they are hands down. Them and maybe even Detroit. And even Detroit actually got a couple of decent players this offseason, which we'll go over another time. But here's a team that I really want to talk about. Us three are actually are really excited to talk about this team, the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, I'll already knock their win total of 74.5. That's what FanDuel has them at. I'm going to put that as an under right now because I don't think that they have the pitching to get them to a 75-win clip. I do think, and I also think that they're young studs. I think they're very good, but I just don't think that they're there yet. But with that being said... I think that this is almost kind of a season where the Blue Jays have to have some production out of Vlad Guerrero and Bo Bichette and Kevin Biggio and Lourdes Gurriel. I feel like if you're not getting production from these guys, they're all pretty equally important to this squad. Not for this year, but the tw- especially in 2021 and 22. I feel like, Adam, that they need them to have good production this year. I think Vlad Guerrero was not a disappointment, but he definitely didn't live up to all the hype that we've been seeing from him. Oh, everyone thought Guerrero's going to win Rookie of the Year easily, without a doubt, and hit 35-plus bombs. The projections last year were outrageous. And just adding to your point... They have so much, their entire team revolves around their young core. And there's going to be some growing pains. There certainly will be. There has to be. So it's tough to, it's tough to really see them be competitive, even with a wild card spot. But at least they're fun. They have a lot of young guys, a lot of guys who have disguised to limit for their talent. And I, I wouldn't be too harsh on their pitching. Honestly, look at their staff right here. From I believe Roto Champs, they look better than the Brewers, at least from their starting pitching standpoint. They got Ryu at the top. He's going to have some adjustments in the American League, of course. But Anderson, Rourke, Yamaguchi, who's coming in from Japan, those guys are not bad starters to have. So their starting pitching won't be playoff caliber by any means, but they can be very respectable in their own right. And they signed Hunjin Ryu to a four-year deal because they think that they can compete. And, Henry, I'll bring this out to you because you live in the Central Time Zone and you're a fan of a team that plays in the National League East, in the National League Central, excuse me. So you've seen Hunjin Ryu a little bit more often than Adam and I have. Talk about how important of a signing Ryu is to Toronto, a guy who was very close to winning a Cy Young Award last year. Well, I will say as a whole that I'm pretty optimistic about Toronto's future, but to be a bit of a pessimist for a second, I hate the Ryu signing. I don't think that it makes any sense for Toronto, and I'll tell you why. Hyunjin Ryu is one of the most prone uh he's the most one of the most dominant ground ball pitchers in baseball to where he's really relying on getting outs that way and he moves into toronto which not only has artificial turf where the ground balls are going to play faster more of those would be ground ball uh, outs are going to turn into singles it's not a very strong infield defense behind him i believe statistically it was one of the weaker infields in defense last season 
I think Ryu's numbers are going to blow up like a balloon. Not only because of those reasons, he's moving into the AL East. He's moving into a division where he's going to play against the Red Sox, the Yankees. Even the Rays might have a sneaky good lineup. We'll touch on them here in a minute. I don't think that it's going to be a very smooth transition for you, who really only had that one dominant season last season. He was good in 2018 as well in limited innings. But he had, I mean, he's been good with the Dodgers, but never great. It was definitely a breakout season. And it makes sense for the Blue Jays to go out there and get a pitcher. I know they need to try and strengthen that rotation. I just don't think Ryu's the answer. I am excited about their young bats, though. I'd love to see uh, if Vlad can live up to more of the hype here. And I think Kevin Biggio, Bobichette, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. are all going to be great young players in the league for years to come. You guys touched on it, too, that 2020 isn't quite so important for the Blue Jays as a whole or those guys. But it's a big developmental year. See what they can do and poise themselves for bigger leaps forward in the future. Yeah, who knows? I, I mean, Maybe that there's a reason that they brought them up all at pretty much the same time. I know that Vlad was really uh, the first one to come up out of the crew. But we saw Bo Bichette and we saw Lourdes Gurriel and we saw uh, Kevin Biggio pretty much all come up almost simultaneously. And I think that they know that. That is their core. That's the Toronto core four. And Henry, I, th- I think you made really good points about Hyunjin Ryu. I th- it, it, your numbers inflate when you go to the American League because of the DH, and especially when you have some pretty solid teams like the Yankees, the Sox, and the Rays. His numbers are definitely going to inflate, and you made a good point about being a ground ball pitcher. But at the same time, if they're not going to get a pitcher now – I really, I'm not in love with the free agent pitchers that are on the market next year. So I think they have to make some sort of a move. No, I don't think that Ryu makes them an automatic postseason contender. But at the same time, I do think that a move did have to be made somewhere along the lines. Um, but Adam, over under 74 and a half. What are you going with? I think I'm going to go slightly over. I can really see the Blue Jays be placed third in the American League East, and that's a very bold prediction. I know even with the Red Sox trading away Mookie and Price, but if any team could really kind of be an underdog talent, underdog team in 2020, it's the Blue Jays because they have a lot of pieces that can go right for them. And, Henry, I know that Ryu isn't – not going to be what he was in, in Los Angeles. He's probably going to have an over three ARA. He's definitely going to face some regression, but he'll still be a really solid starter at the top of the rotation. Maybe not, should not be a number one at all, but he'll be a solid starter at the, at the top. Hopefully a couple of their gun studs break out. Maybe they'll be rounded out by their subsidiary pieces in the rotation. So I think with that in mind, I think they could win 75 plus. Yeah, I'm going under, guys. I am not super optimistic for 2020 for the Blue Jays. I I am about their hitters. Their pitchers is what scares me. I think the future's bright, but I'd say under. I don't think they're quite there yet. I'd project somewhere around 70 wins for this team. They very well could jump out ahead of the Red Sox if the Red Sox decide to move more towards a rebuild. But we'll touch more on Boston here in a second. Yeah, and, and I don't like their bullpen. I don't like Ken Giles. Wilmer Font looks like their setup guy right now, according to the MLB.com depth chart. Wilmer Font was a journeyman. He got out of Tampa, 
was sent to the Mets. The Mets traded him away to Toronto, I believe, in that Marcus Stroman deal. That's what he was a part of. I don't like their bullpen, and I think that's going to be a costly reason why I would take the under. But as you mentioned, Henry, let's talk about the Boston Red Sox. The trade with Mookie Betts finally goes through. Mookie Betts and David Price go to L.A. They wound up getting Alex Verdugo, and the Dodgers added a prospect in that deal. But I think the guys at the Sox are still a, a pretty decent team. And I said it in the last podcast that I did with Adam and Q. I was very surprised to see Mookie Betts go away this early. It Well, I shouldn't say this early in the season because it hasn't started yet. But I thought that they were going to keep him until the, ta- the trade deadline because... This was pretty much the same exact team that we saw win a World Series in 2018. Scandal or not, they had talent. They won 108 games. They were very, 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 very good. They traded away Mookie Betts, but I think that they still are a postseason contender. But Adam, Mookie Betts is obviously a devastating loss to this team. He certainly is, and... No one should expect Alex Verdugo to take Mookie Betts' place. If you look at his comp, he closer relates to Andrew Benintendi. That's kind of a similar projection to expect for him, expect for him. but nonetheless, the Red Sox still have an insanely good lineup. That is their greatest asset right there. They have a great lineup. They have some pretty decent defense, and they have sailed the top of the rotation. That is all their pluses there. And Erod over there, he was a sneaky top 10 Cy Young Award uh, placeholder last year. So they have a decent one-two at the top of the rotation, but Nonetheless, if Mookie Betts size whole, the rest of his starting rotation doesn't look that good. Their bullpen is just complete garbage, to say the least. It's amazing how they still won in 2018 with Kimberly struggling. I mean, their only true reliever in the postseason. You, who's that guy in the Dodgers right now? Joe he, Kelly. Joe Kelly. So him and Kelly were fine. But you should you cannot have Brandon Workman as your closer or Heath Hembry as your setup man or someone like that. So they're in a whole, whole loads of trouble, and they are not making the playoffs in 2020. That is almost a sure thing. Yeah, I think that's a pretty accurate prediction right there. And it was very surprising to see them kind of just have zero interest in Craig Kimberlin. And I, I get that he wanted a mega deal that no one was going to give him at all. And then he finally went to Henry's Cubs on, on a pretty decent deal. I know that he wasn't the Craig Kimberl of old, but... I have faith in Craig Kimbrell at the end of the day. But it was very surprising to see them go into 2019 pretty much just saying, yeah, we're good. Joe Kelly got a contract because of that postseason. And Craig Kimbrell is, honestly, his first nine years are almost as good, if not better, than Mariano's first nine years. And he just has less rings to show for it. I'm just going by the numbers at that point. But, Henry, a question that I want to ask you the Red Sox do have a lot of question marks on this ball club. Who do you think is the biggest one out of this 26-man roster that's going to come up? It's absolutely Chris Sale for me. The way he struggled last season to over a four ERA, by far uh, the highest in his, at least the recent years of his career, I believe in his whole major league career. That is was surprising to say the least for the Red Sox and ultimately a big part of their downfall. The question now, does Chris Sale turn it around? Can he remain elite as he has been for the last three, four, five years or so? 
And you look last year, the the strike the strikeout rate remained elite for Sale, but his walks were up, and he gave up a lot of home runs, which can be partially explained by the juiced baseball. But he's going to have to do better to keep the ball in the park if Boston is going to be able to rely on him to get some wins this year. And if the Red Sox as a whole are going to be very good, I think it starts with Sale. They still do have a very strong lineup, as you guys pointed out, which makes it all the more puzzling that they decided to move on from Mookie. That really makes it seem like they must have known for sure he wasn't going to re-sign. Otherwise, how do you move on from a player like that? Yeah, I'm looking at what you wrote down. I mean, I know that Jackie Riley Jr. has an expiring contract. Well, they still have J.D. Martinez with three more years. Bogarts just signed a long-term deal. Devers is one of the one of their best players, if not one of the best players in the league, and they still have it for four more cheap years. But I like what you said about Chris Sale, and what scares me about him, this may be the Yankee fan in me talking, but something that we see from Chris Sale year after year after year is that he deteriorates come August. The dog days of the summer get to him, and the fact that he struggles later on in the season, and then for the first time in a long time that we saw him struggle throughout an entire season, that worries me uh, for Chris Sale and the Boston Red Sox. Adam, if you have another question mark, feel free. If your question mark is also Chris Sale, go right ahead and elaborate, but I'm going to ask you the same question as I asked Henry. Who's your biggest question mark for this Boston team? Sale is easily the biggest question mark, of course, and... It's interesting. Everyone was affected by the home run rate. Maybe he felt more pressure in 2019. Who knows why he was just awful for an entire season. And I am amazed by the predictions, thinking he's going to go right back to his pre-2019 form. But if anyone can do it, it's Chris Sale. And he still can be one of the best pitchers in the game. He still is one of the best strikeout pitchers in the game. He still just – all his pitches are completely nasty. But if there's a never question mark in his team – I would have to say is Nathan Avaldi. People often forget about and how what his importance was the 2018 World Series, and everyone expected him like to say, "Wow, this guy came off a great World Series. Maybe he can finally lift the hype of his 100 mile per hour fastball. It's flat as I don't. I can't even make a great comparison for it, but it's just it's, it's probably flatter than what the people think with flat Earth is actually like. It's ridiculously flat, has no movement, and He's definitely a big question mark. The Red Sox sent a big deal. Maybe they want him as a reliever, did a great job as that. But it'll be interesting to see if he can do anything to flip the script in 2020. And what's funny, guys, Pitters and Caddish reported today, they have not named the manager yet. And it looks like it's going to be Rob Renicky, but I really question what kind of chemistry that this team is going to have throughout the year. They win a World Series. And then they don't even come close to making the postseason. And they were struggling all year long. And a lot of people just said World Series hangover. It's It, it, it was early until it wasn't early anymore for Boston last year. Uh, so with that being said, their over-under right now is at 84 and a half. Questionable bullpen. They just traded their best player. Probably a top three player in baseball. I believe that they won 86 last year. If someone wants to correct me on that, feel free. 84, actually. It was 84? Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So their win total right now, according to Vegas, is just right at that number. Henry, you go first, because I'm honestly pretty torn. <laughs> I'll say if, if the Mookie Betts trade is any indication, they're not really interested in winning games right now, so maybe they just shouldn't even name a manager and just go at it all players. 
see what kind of scandals emerge this year. <laughs> I'm 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 kind of torn too, though, Ryan. I gotta say, I it's still on paper. It looks like a team that's talented enough to easily win 84 games, to win 90 plus games, and be back in the playoffs. But the way they're trending with maybe you factor in the scandal, maybe I mean you have to factor in the Mookie Betts trade to say that. This is a team that looks like they could be nearing a rebuild, and it's really tough to take that over with any confidence knowing that they could be looking to ship away players like Jackie Bradley Jr. J.D. Martinez would be a much more concerning uh, loss to that lineup. Some other guys, too. You know, they could be, I wouldn't say Devers or Bogarts, but pretty much everybody else on that roster, I wouldn't think any of them are untouchable. So I'll, I'll, I guess I'll say under, but that is a really tough one. Yeah, you, you make a very good point. I mean, why would you trade your best player? I mean, if you're trading your best player as your primary move, I mean, obviously that would be your primary move, but who's to say that you wouldn't just keep on going from there? So with the lack of a bullpen and they traded away a serviceable starter in David Price, I'm going to go under 84 and a half also. I think that they can hover around 500, but the bullpen isn't there. The rotation got worse. The team got worse. It can continue to get worse. Adam, give me your over-under on this one. I am utterly surprised you guys are having so much trouble between over-under with this. I think 100% of the way they are going to be under. If they couldn't be that good last year, and for all the reasons you guys mentioned, bad starting rotation after Sale and Erod, Awful bullpen, no bets in the lineup. They are definitely going to be worse than they were last year. This team could surprise some te- some people and be under 500, which is definitely saying something. But easily, easily under 84 wins for me for the Red Sox. I'm trying to think if there were any big disappointments like Boston last year. I feel like uh, I don't know what their number was, but their over under last year was probably somewhere around 97 or 98. <laughs> And then they win 84. I mean, they, they, they were very, very disappointing last year, and it hasn't really stopped, especially after that Mookie Betts trade. Uh, but a team that wasn't a disappointment last year was the Tampa Bay Rays. They have been one of the best teams in baseball over the last, I guess, a year and a half in the calendar or so. I don't know what they've done, but... It seems like every trade that they have made has been great. Um, Charlie Morton was excellent for them. Tyler Glasnow was great for them last year. They are a very good team, and they don't have a lot of star power, but Kevin Cash is a great manager. They have found the right players, and that's something that Herbert Brooks said before the 1980 Olympics. He said, I'm not looking for the best players, I'm looking for the right ones. Adam, it looks like that they have the right players. The Rays are a sneaky, good team. And playing them so many times, it's still really a head-scratcher of why they're so good. And they have a lot of under-the-radar players. And if you look at their start rotation, you think of the big names. You think of Morton, you think of Snell, you think of Glasnow. They're big three. But guys like Yanni Chirinos and Ryan Yarborough, who have quietly been part of their opener strategy for the past couple of years, those guys are really solid. And they might not even need to use an opener as much because of those two. And then you look at the lineup, and there's a lot of upside, especially even players like Lilia Damas, who's one of the best two-way players in all baseball. Austin Meadows was an all-star last year. He's great pop. And Yandy Diaz is a 
stud in the making. The Indians were reluctant to give him up originally because of his great power, and he can really show off some haters in 2020. He can really bust out for the Rays. So they were a very sneaky good team. And don't forget about their bullpen, too. They quietly have one of the most elite bullpens in baseball year in, year out. And I don't even really know half their bullpen guys' names, which is a little bit ridiculous on my part. But I think that's kind of common throughout baseball, at least regarding the race. So they are going to be a very good team in 2020. And although the Yankees should win the East, they will definitely give them some competition. 3-7-1 ERA out of the bullpen last year. And that doesn't include the opening strategy. This is just as a reliever. I'm sure that if you wanted to include uh, Yanni Chirios and uh, excuse me, Chirinos and, um, and Ryan Yarbrough's numbers, it would certainly look a lot different. And Henry, this was, because, and this was with Blake Snell not having a very good season last year. He had an ERA of, I think, under two in his Cy Young Award-winning season in 2018. Last year, I'm pretty sure it was hovering above four. Blake Snell was not the Cy Young Award winner that we saw the previous year. And this team was still pretty good despite that. Yeah, if you're going to get that kind of production last year from the team as a whole, and that's without presumably your best player, it opens the door to thinking that they can have an even better 2020. And that still, last year's production, that was getting 50 or so innings from Tyler Glass now. If he can stay healthy, put together, I mean, he's not going to have a sub-2 ERA like he did have in those in those 50 elite innings last year. But he can still be a plenty serviceable arm in their rotation. It's kind of funny to see the team that pioneered the opening strategy to now have these three aces in their starting rotation where they're, they might not even have to do that very much. But I'm sure Kevin Cash and company is still going to work in a couple of openers here and there. But the story is really the same for the Rays year after year. It's the whole being greater than the sum of the parts. It's a bunch of guys that don't really jump off the page at you individually, but collectively, they're always, and this year is no exception, they're going to be a damn good ball team, guys. And they also picked up Jose Martinez, who has struggled over the last couple, I shouldn't say struggled, he's gotten worse over the last three years. He had an 897 OPS in 2017. It dwindled down to 821 in 2018. And then last year it dipped down to 751. But Jose Martinez is getting slipped into that DH role, which I really like a lot for him. Take him away from fielding in the National League. Focus on hitting. That's your one job. And they also got G-Man Choi last year. I forgot how they acquired him, but he was a surprisingly very good ball player for them. He has a lot of pop. We always, me and my buddies used to always make fun of him when he was a Yankee because it was just like, it was, he was just like this baby faced guy <laughs> who you knew he wasn't going to be there for a while because everyone still had faith in Greg Bird and then they pick up Luke Voigt eventually. And so G Man Choi was kind of like a journeyman, but he has certainly found a home in Tampa Bay. But Adam, let me ask you this question. We went with the most, uh, the biggest question mark before. I'm going to ask you this Who do you think is the most important player? for this Tampa Ball Club. Easily the biggest factor for the Rays is Blake Snell. Blake Snell won the Cy Young Award in 2018, which still seems very, very hard to believe that he was that elite. But he has a filthy curveball. He throws mid to upper 90s. And if he can be healthy, if he can be effective, then the Rays really do have three aces. And they could basically have the best starting rotation in the AL East, even better than the Yankees at this point. 
with Cole and Severino at one and two. So if Snell can be somewhere between his 2019 and 2018 form, that would be more than respectable, and he has a good chance to do that. I personally want to see Kevin Kiermeyer have a bit of a better season than he did last year. Last year, he really struggled. He had a 228 batting average, 278 on-base percentage. His OPS was a bad 676. That was actually the second worst of his career. The worst was when he had an injury riddle 2018 year where he had a 653 OPS. I know that that's not Kevin Kiermeyer's game, and he's pretty much just a defensive god. But if I think if they can get some better production out of him, uh, they're going to be pretty dangerous. Henry, I'm going to put you to the test here. Tampa Bay Rays, their over-under, according to FanDuel, is 91.5. This team was the second wild card team last year. They defeated Oakland in Oakland. They took care of Shamanaya really early. 91.5, what are you going with? Yeah, this isn't to say that I'm not high on the Rays. I think they're a playoff team. I think they're going to be plenty good. But 91.5 is a little strong for my liking. I would project them to win right around 90, 91 games. So I'm going to side with the over, but that's not – don't get me wrong. That's not an anti-Rays argument. I still like them to, to win one of the wild cards there. I think they're a strong team. And while, before I get your all's uh, predictions – or while I get your predictions on the over-under there, I want to open this question up to you Yankee fans. Is this the best starting rotation in the division? I'm going to say no. I think that that title, when healthy, belongs to the Yankees. Garrett Cole is Garrett Cole. Luis Severino, when healthy, is a top three Cy Young candidate. We saw that in 2017. James Paxson, down the stretch last year, had an ERA of under 2.5. And in the elimination game against Houston, we saw what he can do. He pitched seven strong innings, allowed one run, in the very first inning, he settled in and was fine. Jay Hap scares me a little bit. I do think that Jordan Montgomery is going to get a chance to be in that rotation as well. And I didn't even mention Masahiro Tanaka. Tanaka's a dog. I love Masahiro Tanaka. Anyone who has any doubt in him pitching anything, any game, just, just stop. Maybe he won't have a 2-4 ERA in the regular season, but if you need a big start from Tanaka, he's going to give it to you. I know I just went on like a very angry rant, it sounded like, but <laughs> I feel very strongly about this Yankee rotation. Adam, I'll, I'll, let you have, uh, I'll let you have your piece. When you think of the Yankees' rotation, you think of Cole and Severino and everyone else after that. But there's a lot of talent in the rest of their guys. You mentioned Tanaka and... Maybe with this new pitching coach, Matt Blake, who Yankees have a lot of expectations for, maybe he can kind of fit Sinaka during the regular season, kind of make him a big game pitcher every game, not when it counts the most. So hopefully that can work out. And then Montgomery is a very, very underrated pitcher. He came up and he placed some rookie of the year votes way back when, in I believe 2017. So he's very solid. Hap can definitely bounce back too and overall I think the Yankees when they're healthy and are at their kind of mean versus the Rays when they're healthy at their mean Yankees can still be a slightly better but it's definitely a push between these two teams because the Rays have tr three true aces Yankees really have two and Tanaka can have ace like status as does Patson. I'm going to give the nod to the Yankees here, but not by too, too much. And I'll also give the nod to the Yankees too, Henry, because 
I want to see Tampa with like I can't give them the title for best rotation if they keep using openers every fifth day. You know what I mean? I feel like the Yankees have five, six, maybe even seven starters if you want to include uh, Jonathan Loisaga or or uh, Luis Sessa who can give you five or six innings uh, to start a ball game. The Rays, I, I really want to see. I mean, Blake Snell didn't even pitch 200 innings when he pitched when he won the Cy Young Award. So, I think if you want to compare top three, you have an argument. But four rotations, uh, that's a different argument for me. Before we get fully into the Yankees, Adam, give me your over-under uh, for Tampa. It's 91 and a half. The Rays won 96 games last year. Obviously, you're, they're going to have some regression. They got Hunter Renfro in the outfield. They got Jose Martinez as well. They're going to have a healthier rotation in 2020. So I believe they're going to be definitely slightly over 91 and a half games. I can see them winning 93, 94, if not more than that. But def- they should be over in 2020. I'm probably going to go with over 91 and a half also, especially considering the fact that I think we are. they're going to gain some more wins against Boston. I think that they're going to do their due diligence against New York. I think that everyone is going to handle Baltimore pretty nicely. Maybe Toronto steals a couple of wins here and there, but I think that trading Mookie Betts is going to help out a lot of teams uh, with this over. And now let's get into the New York Yankees, who division champions last year. They fell short in the American League Championship Series last year to Houston. I don't want to talk about that too much because I get angry talking about the Houston Astros as a whole as a Yankee fan. So that's all I'm going to mention Houston for the time being. With that being said, the Yankees are the World Series favorites right now according to FanDuel. You can get them at plus 375. I think to win the American League, they're like plus 160 right now. They're hands down the favorites. But they haven't made a World Series since 2009. They obviously make the move for Garrett Cole. Adam, this team, you and I are Yankee fans. I think this is, I think you could say for last year too, but this season, if they don't win a World Series, I think it's a failure. I certainly agree. There's that old adage where Yankees don't win the World Series, it's all for nothing. And that's true. But in recent years, for them to make it in the Championship Series, that's been really, really good. And this year, it looks like everything's going to come together. They have a healthy team. They have they added some they added the big name Garrett Cole. They added they pretty much added to their biggest weakness, which which was their starting rotation, which people highly underrate. And their lineups can be good as always. They'll be healthier. They can break their home run record of three oh six from last year. And it's gonna be exciting. Everyone keeps saying from the moment that Judge and Stanton will they hit above hundred homers, if it's gonna be any year to do it. It could be this year. And it's going to be really, really fun. It's going to be homers galore, strikeouts galore, just everything galore in New York. And I cannot wait for opening day and just see these New York Yankees just come out and compete and really try to get World Series number 28. Yep, I'm glad you mentioned Aaron Judge and Joe Collison because if they're healthy, they can be – I don't even. I can't even think of the words to use for them too because I think they're so immensely talented. I don't think that Aaron Judge will ever be the first half of 2017. I don't think that that's his game, but he's arguably. I think he's a top ten player in all of baseball, and I think when Joe Carlos Stanton is healthy, he can be too. But the problem is 
Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge have not been healthy. I understand that in 2018 he got hit by a pitch, and that that's you can't really call someone injury prone for that. But last year he had the the abdominal injury. Giancarlo Stanton, who notoriously played hurt throughout the entire season in 2018, he was limited to 18 games in the regular season last year and played in just two of the six ALCS games last season. So. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that the Yankees are in store for another injury-riddled season. Last year was all hashtag next man up. But we've already seen an injury. James Paxton is now out until at least May with this back injury. So, Henry, it, it, obviously you're not the sole non-Yankee fan in this podcast right now. But do you think that Henry and I should be worried about in another injury-riddled year when they're already going on. And we've seen it plenty of times over the last couple of years. You set me up nicely there, Ryan. If there is an argument to be made against the Yankees, it is injuries. But then, like you said, you look at what happened last year. Last year, the Yankees had about as bad of injury luck as any team can have, and it didn't matter. They still win, what, 100 or so games, somewhere in that ballpark? 103, yeah. 103 games. You still... Make it to the ALCS. I, I won't talk any more about that. But, I mean, that team <laughs> was able to succeed in spite of getting zero from Stanton, getting not a whole lot from Aaron Judge. I mean, he wasn't bad when he was on the field, but he only played 102 games. But I think injuries is the question for the Yankees. Is our Judge and Stanton going to be out there? But, I mean, ultimately, does it matter? Are you going to get... DJ LeMahieu repeating last year's surprise breakout. I think it is concerning. I'm sorry, I'm jumping around a little bit here, guys. I think it is concerning, definitely, to see Paxton go down this early. That kind of seemed weird to me. I, he was uh, having problems with the herniated disc last season, if I'm correct. And then why wait this long to, to have the surgery? I, I guess the thought is that it's, it's going to get better on its own during the offseason. And then that obviously didn't happen. So I think there are some some injury questions for the Yankees, but they should still be a slam dunk to win the division, if not the World Series. I would like that you mentioned DJ LeMahieu. Um, I think that I'll be surprised if he does what he did last year, but I think this guy is a 300 hitter, 360, 370 on base guy, 400 to 500 slugging guy. I think that he can definitely have an OPS hovering between 850, 900, maybe even a little bit over 900. I think he's that talented, which is funny because this time last year when the Yankees did sign him, I looked at his 2018 splits and I saw that he was hitting 229 away from Colorado, and that scared me. But he proved me wrong last year, and I'm really glad he did. But, Adam, I'm going to ask you this question. Actually, you know what? I want to go first on this one. Biggest question mark and, and most important player. I think the the both the, the answer to both of those questions is Giancarlo Stanton. I think that if Giancarlo Stanton plays to the best of his abilities and he's healthy, I mean, we saw what this guy did in 2018. It baffles me to see Yankee fans legitimately have a dislike for this guy. Maybe it was because of the fact that he struck out against Craig Kimbrell on one of the nastiest pitches ever. I understand how Yankee fans work. I've been one for a very, 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 very long time. You have one bad game. I mean, Giancarlo Stanton struck out five times in his home debut. He got booed. That's how Yankee fans work. 
It will never. I will never get it. I will always disagree with it. That's a. I can make a podcast on my own about how much I hate certain Yankee fans. But aside from the point, while he is a question mark, we know what this guy is capable of. He won the MVP in 2017. He had 59 home runs. He has the fifth best OPS in all of baseball since he made his debut. I think he has the second highest slugger percentage in all of baseball since he made his debut as well. Adam, give me your thoughts on question marks and important guys on this ball club. I know that managers are always going to have high expectations for their hairs, but there's something in me that really wants to believe in Aaron Boom. He says this will be Stanton's year. And you can argue 2017, sorry, 2018, check that, was his first year in New York, didn't have the type of 2017 season, still very respectable, over 100 runs in RBIs if they still matter, still hovering around 40 home runs. And 2019, he was looking to do better in year two, didn't get the chance to. Now in year three, this seems like the time for him to come out. This is the make or break year for Stanton. And he has, when he's healthy, he is one of the best players in the game. He's a very underrated fielder. He can really provide so, so much value to this Yankees lineup. So I believe that Stanton will do well this year. And he's definitely the biggest question mark, but some subsidiary question marks are Gary Sanchez, or Tanaka, or Severino, or there's a lot of question marks actually, Urshela. But overall, this team. Urshela, yeah. Overall, this team is just so dominant top to bottom, where someone will pick up the slack if someone's falling off. That even with all these question marks, it's more from good to elite or elite to good. It's not from good to just outright terrible for the most part. So even with all these question marks, they'll still be one of the best teams in baseball, if not the best team in baseball. I like how you mentioned Gio Rochelle. That's what I wanted to talk about, too, because this guy has been a journeyman literally his entire career. Something clicked for him where he might have been the Yankees' best player last year. He, he was incre- He became a household name. I'm pretty sure that he hit a solo home run in the elimination game, game six of the ALCS. I mean, I don't know what happened to this guy, but he became one of the best players on that ball club. Henry, give me some of your thoughts on players that you are really looking out for, both positively and negatively for the pinstripes. I will caution Adam to saying uh, make or break about Giancarlo Stanton because if last year is any indication, it's going to be a lot of break. Um, But – if you'll if you'll excuse my my bad joke there, uh, I think that that Garrett Cole is probably the most important Yankee, and he is you know you hear about the Yankees year after year after year. The thing is, ah, oh, the lineup was great. We just didn't have enough pitching, at least in recent years, I should say. No disrespect to Randy Johnson or Roger Clemens, but Garrett Cole should be the anchor that this bullpen has been missing. And granted, they've had very strong guys, Luis Severino, to Mashiro, Masahiro Tanaka in their own right, have been great pitchers, but maybe not that front-of-the-rotation ace that Garrett Cole certainly looks to be. And they certainly paid him enough to be that guy. But I think Cole comes in and is going to be dominant, going to continue striking hitters out at a high rate, going to have great ratios. Even though that is a tough ballpark to pitch in, a tough division to pitch in, but he has the luxury of not having to face the Yankees. I think the biggest question mark for me is Aaron Judge. And that's tough considering that Giancarlo Stanton is essentially a walking question mark at this point, or a limping question mark, I should say. 
But let's just look Put at him. Stanton's track record. <laughs> Throughout Stanton's career, maybe we pencil him in optimistically for 120 games. I think that's a pretty fair projection. The question mark is, is Judge going to be able to play more than 120 games? Because if you can get 150, 140 even games from Judge, that's huge. A huge boost to an already great lineup. And he's shown whenever he's on the field, he's making elite contact. He hits the ball harder than just about anybody in baseball. He's going to put up big power numbers. Hits for a pretty good batting average for a power guy. Has great on-base percentage. I think he is the key to that Yankees lineup. And I want to get one more dig in on a Yankee while I have you guys here. (laughs) I don't think Glaber Torres is all that good when he's not playing the Orioles. What do you got to say about that? I don't know. Did you see him in the postseason? I think he had like a 1,200 OPS or something like that. All right. All right. Other than that. <laughs> no, it's a good argument. It's a good argument. But uh, certainly a hot take. But uh, we are running out of time. I want to get into the, the last over-under here for the Yankees. It's 101.5. Adam, what are you going with? I guess won 103 games last year. They added Cole. They'll be healthier. I know I've said over pretty much every team so far in the East. So I know I'm kind of sounding like a broken record here, but this Yankees team is very, very impressive. They're even more impressive than last year. I say over by a slight margin. Probably went 103, 104 games in 2020. Yeah, the thing with this over-under is that it's 101.5, but if you hit the over, it's minus 132 right now. So you have to bet 132 bucks to win 100, and usually you get the even uh, minus 110 or so. So a lot of people really like this over. Uh, 101.5. I'm one of them as well. They won 103 games last year. That was with Luis Severino making three regular season starts. That was without Garrett Cole. That was without Giancarlo Stanton. And obviously, Didi, uh, Didi Gregorius and Ella Betances aren't on this team anymore. But they were missing three of this upcoming season's best players. And we'll see what happens with a healthy Luke Voigt down the stretch or maybe even a Miguel Andujar. But I think 101.5, I love this over. I think you will definitely find me at the sports book sooner rather than later putting a decent amount of chunk on this over. Henry, what about you? Yeah, this is the easiest one of the division to me. I think that is an automatic slam dunk over. Get a loan, get a second mortgage. Get out to the book right now and slap that Yankees over. It's it's going to happen. You add Garrett Cole, you add possibly a healthy Giancarlo Stanton and a healthier Aaron Judge, and to make uh to make it even easier for you, the Red Sox are getting worse and possibly still looking to unload. Uh, players throughout the season, I think this is an easy over for the Yankees. And it's funny that we all say it's an easy over. I don't remember ever seeing an over-under quite this high, but I think when you win 103 last year, I feel like Vegas doesn't want to look that stupid and be like, yeah, it's 104.5. But I can see this team winning well over 105 games, and that's not the Yankee fan and me talking. You just heard a Chicago fan, a Chicago Cubs fan say that it's an easy over. And uh, this episode is just about over as well. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Eggs of Elo podcast. One division down, five more to go. And we're probably going to talk about the potential changes to the MLB postseason format over the next couple of weeks or so. But stay tuned. 
We got a lot more stuff coming out for you guys. It is not goodbye. It is see you later. So long and take care, everybody. Hey.